We'll turn with me, if you would, to the book of Psalms, as we have now finished our series through the epistle of 1 John. We are in Psalm 145 this evening. Psalm 145 is, this is the last Sunday of Reverend Spots' sabbatical, and so this is sort of a uh, time in between sorts of things, and so it's helpful to remember some of the things that we are told here in Psalm 145. I'll begin reading at verse 1, all the way down to the end of the psalm, all 21 verses. Psalm 145 is a song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and in his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. This is the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to us. Let's go to him and ask for his help in interpreting it this evening. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for Psalm 145 and for the great glories that it shows us of you, our true King, our great God, and our ultimate Lord. We ask, Father, that you would help us to see how we should worship you and why this evening as we come to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. Well, as we come to Psalm 145, we are coming to a very notable psalm that perhaps few of us have ever really taken much time to consider. Psalm 145 is one of those psalms that you read through, especially as you're reading through the Psalter, maybe from beginning to end, and it begins to sound similar towards the end because the function of the Psalter is to really break out in praise to God towards the end. That it's building up, you see the beginning, the Psalms 1 and 2, showing us the way of wisdom, showing us the true king that God is going to bring to his people and how we are to not only be like the man in Psalm 1, but to trust in the only man who was ultimately like that, to flee to him in refuge. And then we begin to see psalms of lamentation. We begin to see psalms where people are crying out, whether David or others, and saying things are not as they should be, things are not as they thought we would be, and we need your help. And all throughout the psalms, we find different genres, we could say, different kinds of poems, of psalms to God. And then we come to the very end, and the last book of the Psalter, the fifth book, and what we find again and again and again is praise to God. It's almost as if there's been a journey here. We begin by 
orienting ourselves, knowing who God is and what he has done and how we are to respond in kind, and then we see the horrors and the trials and the tribulations of life, we see even our own sin as we confess it in Psalms like Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, then we get to the end, and it's all praise to God. In that sense, it almost mirrors what our experience will be, that we are in this life and we are experiencing tribulations, yet one day we know that we will be praising God for all eternity. We'll be singing hymns of praise, even as this psalm is a hymn. It's a hymn that's calling us to praise God and giving us reasons. As you read through the Psalter, you'll find many psalms like this. The call to praise God often at the beginning and the end. Usually it's whoever is writing the psalm is calling the congregation as a whole to praise God, and it's giving reasons why often either creation or redemption, or as is often the case, both. And here we have the author, David, is coming to us, and this is the last psalm that bears his name in the Psalter. We know that if anyone's name is associated with the book of Psalms, it's King David. But this is the last time we see his name written in the Psalter. The last things, essentially, that he would have us to know as we don't know exactly why it is that these things are put in the exact order they were. But it seems like this is meant to be there for a reason. As we come to the end, David has certain things to say for us. And I can't speak for you, but I know I need to hear some simple things sometimes. I need to be reminded of things that I take for granted that I go through life and I read more and I learn more and I forget more, all these things happening all at once and I forget who the God is that I worship and I forget why I worship him in the first place. Psalm 145 is helpful for us. So we see really our three headings, our three points are the three outcomes of knowing God and his works, the three things that it's calling us to do and really they're all three forms of praise, which is somewhat cheating because the first one is just praise itself. But these are three ways that we can praise God. So we should see, first of all, our first section in verses 1 through 3, that we should praise. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. And so David starts out here in Psalm 145 in a way that many psalms begin with the greatness and the glory and the majesty of God himself of Yahweh the Lord, the king of all the earth, and the special God of his covenant people. And really what David is showing us here, the main emphasis as we find throughout this psalm, is that God is the one who is ultimately in control. That it is God's kingdom and that he is the king. He is the creator, he is the sustainer, he is the redeemer, he is the final consummator, even as we see towards the end of this psalm this evening. That he is the one who is in control of all things. And this helps us to realize something here that we've probably heard again and again by this point if we've been in a church for very long, but it's helpful for us to be reminded that our praise to God, our response of worship to him, is not ultimately based on our own feelings. Now, it will involve our feelings, certainly. It will involve the things that are coming from within us as we respond to God, but the ultimate foundation, the ultimate reason that we are praising God is because of who he is and what he has done. Because he is the one who is worthy of praise. This is not shallow praise or empty praise that David is giving to God and that he's calling us to give to him as well. This is praise that is coming out of who God is, of what God has done for his people. Help us to remember that whenever we praise God, whether it's on our own or as a family or in a group, a congregation that's gathered together on the Lord's Day such as this one, that we're praising him because of his greatness. We're praising him because he ultimately, truly, is the only one who deserves our praise. He deserves the glory and the honor that we can bring to him because his greatness is praiseworthy. Now that word extol in verse 1 may be a strange one. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Boys and girls, I don't know about you, but I didn't really grow up saying words like extol very often. 
except for perhaps when I read them in a book and wanted to impress my friends. And of course, they wouldn't know what it meant either. So what exactly does extol mean? What exactly is David getting at here in the beginning of this psalm? Well, essentially, extol is this idea of acknowledging God for who he is. It's basically this idea of raising up, of calling out that this is the one who is high. This is the one who is great. This is the one who is above all things. That this king is so great that David cannot help but break out in praise to him. He cannot help but break out in worship to this individual because the greatness leads to the response. Now, I will not ask for a show of hands of how many people who have been in a setting where you're not supposed to laugh and something funny happens or you think of something funny. And, of course, it's much worse when you're sitting next to a sibling or by a friend. And there you are in this serious situation. And what happens? Well, the giggles begin. You begin to think of different things. I'm not going to give you an example from my own life because if I start laughing, it's over. But I can think of times in my own life that this has happened. It's quite sad because I was homeschooled and there was just my sister and I, and yet we had to be separated because this would happen quite often. Because certain things are just so funny, at least in the moment, that you cannot help but respond in laughter to it. That's essentially a very small, very dumb uh, example of what's going on here. That God, the Lord, Yahweh is so great that David cannot help but break out in praise because of what's happening to him. It's almost like an automatic response here. That David sees God for who he is and for what he's done, and so he praises and proclaims and prays every day. And as a good pastoral figure, as a good, we could say, even leader of worship here in Psalm 145, he is calling each and every single one of us to do the same. To praise God, to pray to God, to proclaim God each and every single day because of who God is and what he has done for you. Because this greatness is praiseworthy and it leads to praise. We know that between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are different things that are going on, of course, in the life of the people of God. One of the things that happened is that Psalm 145 became very important for their devotional life. And some rabbis were recommending that the people of God would recite this psalm twice every morning and once every evening before they went to bed. Now, I'm not saying that you have to go and do this. This is an extra biblical rule that was laid down. But it's helpful for us to remember that this is the kind of psalm that could bear that weight. That could help us to remember as we begin our day, as we end our day, as we prepare to go to sleep, that this is the God who we worship and this is what we are to do. Because who God is and what God does leads to us receiving certain things from him. Leads to us seeing who he truly is. Leads us to see how great he is and how glorious and how wonderful he is. And as we consider who God is, this leads to praise which leads us to consider even more who God is, and it's one of these cycles that continues forever. We don't know a whole lot about what the final state will be. We have some hints and some things that we're told explicitly and some things that are only given very vague shadows about what the new heavens and new earth will be, what our uh, occupations will be, what we'll be spending our time doing. We know, though, that praising God is one of the things we'll be doing. And it's quite hard for us to imagine, to fathom, that for all eternity we'll be going more and more deeply into God himself, into who he is and what he has done. We will never run dry. We will continually be praising God because we see him for more of who he is. We'll be learning more and more about him for all eternity in this continuous cycle, and this will never end. This cycle that begins even now. David here has recognized Yahweh as his God and King. He's recognized him as the Lord of all the earth. Brothers and sisters, so should we. We should recognize this is our God, the God who is deserving of all praise. So we should praise him is the first response, the first outcome of knowing God and his works. And it leads to the second here, that we should proclaim. 
in verses 4 through 13. And you'll notice with me, as we begin here in verse 4, these words, One generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. You can ask, what could possibly lead to this sort of reaction, to this outcome of people praising God and proclaiming him not only to themselves but to others. Well, we see that ultimately it's the theme that we find in this psalm of God's kingly rule, of God's universal kingdom. The fact that he rules over all things. Now, I don't remember exactly. I remember accounting at one point of how many times in the ESV we have a word translated as all. I think it was somewhere around 15. It strikes me that I really should have written that down when I did it. But this idea of 15 or 16 times that this word all is used in the ESV in a span of 21 verses is meant to really show us the universality of something. That this is a kingdom that expands to all things, expands to all people. And we see here that God's greatness and his goodness are both included in this kingdom. This is why we are praising him. This is why we are proclaiming him. It's an everlasting kingdom as we read in verse 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. You may notice In the ESV, you have those words in brackets. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. We aren't entirely sure if that's original or not, or if that's something that comes later, but we know of nothing else that this is really bringing the spirit of the psalm with it. At the end of this verse 13, that God being kind and great in his works and in his deeds is something that is really at the forefront of what this psalm actually is. But we know at the beginning of this verse, we find other places in scripture where this is cited, where this is quoted, And it perhaps comes on the lips of someone that we would not expect. Now, boys and girls, perhaps you've heard the stories of Daniel and his friends in the book of Daniel. And you've heard all these things that happened in the Old Testament, all these great, wonderful stories that show us the greatness of our God and his provision for his people, those who are trusting in his name. One of my favorites as a boy growing up was what we find in Daniel chapter 4, where Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, becomes too proud. And he's wandering around Babylon at night. He's looking around all these different things, all these great wonders of the ancient world. And he says, isn't this Babylon the great kingdom that I have built for my own majesty? And what does God do? Well, he humbles him. He causes him to wander around like a beast, to be filled with dew every morning, to even eat the grass of the field. And what does Nebuchadnezzar say as he's reporting these things in Daniel chapter 4? Well, he says, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. It seems as if Nebuchadnezzar himself is taking the words of Psalm 145 on his lips. This great king of all the earth, of all the known world at this time, this most powerful man in existence in the ancient Near Eastern world at that time, has been humbled and has recognized the hard way what David the king had recognized centuries earlier. That God is great, that his kingdom is an everlasting dominion. It's eternal in its scope and in its function, that it will never disappear. It's really interesting if you read throughout history of how many nations and even religions have disappeared off the face of the earth. Many different things have happened. Even in my own lifetime, I was considering the other day that during my lifetime, the second most powerful nation in the history of the world just disintegrated. When you really consider that, it's quite shocking. Here is a nation that was more powerful than any that came before it except for one, and within the last 32 years, gone. Forgotten. In history now, in our history books, 
and not in reality. As mighty and as powerful as this kingdom might have been, it's gone. And yet thousands of years later, God still rules. God still rules and reigns over all things. So this is describing a king far above David. A king who rules far above the trials and tribulations of his own people, far above our needs, far above the things that we may be going through in this life. A king who is great enough to do something about these things and who is also good enough and loving enough to do something. This is the God who rules in the midst of trouble, in the midst of those who don't even recognize his rule. He rules over all things and he rules well. This can be a great comfort for us, can it? We know that there are plenty of rulers now, both now and around the world and throughout history that have ruled with power but have not ruled with power well. What David wants to remind us is the one who has all authority and power and honor is the one who is best suited to hold it. That he is the one who reigns and rules well and graciously and righteously. And because of this, God's citizens are secure. Notice with me verses 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. If you've been with us for a few weeks, you might maybe recognize that phrase in verse 8 from the book of Joel and from Exodus beforehand. It's one of those things. That's why I really landed on Psalm 145 in the past few weeks, because I've been tracing that theme throughout Scripture, and I found this, and I just had to tell someone about it, essentially. Now, what this is, is a declaration that not only this God is great, but that this God is good. Not only that this God rules, but that this God loves. There's this idea here of uh, essentially this mercy, his goodness, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That idea of steadfast love is the Hebrew word hesed, which may not mean anything to you. But it would have meant something very particular to the people who are hearing David say these words for the first time. Hesed is covenant faithfulness. Hesed is love that comes from someone who has bound himself to you. You may wonder what Hesed is. Well, originally it might have been you are a lesser king and you're being attacked by someone who's going to come in and wipe you out and take away as slaves those that they don't kill. And suddenly the great king who has made a covenant comes in and sweeps away all the invaders and gives you blessings and honor and glory that you do not deserve. But with God, it's even greater than that. It's the idea of this one who is great, who is mighty, who is transcendent, as we would say, who is above even the foundations of the earth. As Solomon says, that the heavens and the highest heavens cannot contain him, let alone this temple that he has built. That this high God comes and condescends to us. That he cares about lowly individuals like us, to those who call upon his name. To those who are trusting in him, who are trusting in him alone. We might recognize also that Jonah, the prophet Jonah, quoted verse 8 in a less than positive fashion as he knows that God is going to bring mercy to the Ninevites and grace to the Ninevites. He doesn't think that this should happen, but he knows it's going to happen because this is who God is. The same sort of thing we find here in Psalm 145. This is who the king of all the earth is. Seen most clearly, of course, in Jesus Christ. In the fact that Hundreds of years after David was dead, the one that he was looking for, his own son, came and showed this most clearly to us. Showed God's covenant love, his faithfulness to us. Showed his goodness and his grace and his mercy to sinners who deserve the exact opposite and certainly to those who are far lower than he is. 
that God is good and God is great, that God loves us, and because of that, God's citizens are secure. And so what is God calling us to proclaim here? What is he calling us to do in response to this? Well, he's calling us, first of all, to not panic. I recognize that can be a difficult thing to do at times. That sometimes we look around at things happening in the world or even in our own lives and we think the only thing left to do is panic. David is reminding us of who God is. He's reminding us of the one who is in control of all things, the one who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, who rules over all and who rules well. He's calling us to remember that as great as our troubles may be, as great as the things that are going on in this life may be that seem to overwhelm us, and David was no stranger to these things, even as the king of Israel, that God himself is greater. And this should lead to proclamation. As we consider verse 5, these words that began with this idea of catechizing or bringing this to the next generation, we can ask, where did even David himself learn these things about who God is and what God has done? We could say, really, it came from two sources. It came from God's word, and it came from people telling him. It came from people proclaiming it into him, even at a young age in his, his childhood. His parents, his community around him were telling him these things about who God is and what God does. That's the same for us, isn't it? Each and every single one of us here, whether we grew up in a family that catechized us or whether we came to the Christian faith much later in life, we are gathered here and we are hearing from God's word and we are hearing proclamation and this is not the first time. That people have proclaimed this God and his works to us time and again. That we have heard these things even as generation gives way to generation. So what God is calling us to do is what we see here happening in these verses beginning in verse 5 through 7. To proclaim this not only to ourselves, but to others. To not keep this God a secret, as it were. To proclaim who God is and what he has done to yourself and to those who are around you. What a king and what a kingdom this is. What a great and a gracious God this is. And this great and gracious God should not be kept secret. Notice with me verses 4, 6, and 7. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. We could call that catechizing. Although that word is very common and ordinary, perhaps for many of us in reform circles, that's essentially what we are doing. When we train up the next generation, when we continually proclaim this God, we're proclaiming this God we find in Psalm 145. The God who is great and good and who has done great and good things for all of creation and specifically for his people in Jesus Christ. This is what we are doing as we are continuing to show this other people to proclaim his law and his gospel, who he is and what he has done. Even as we see in Psalm 78, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and forget not the works of God, but keep his commandments. This is the proclamation that God is calling us to make as a result of who he is as a result of his greatness and his rule and his grace and mercy to us. And so one of the outcomes of knowing who God is and what he has done is not only that we praise him, but also that we proclaim him. And finally, our third heading this evening, that we should also praise, we see in verses 14 through 21. Now that might not seem so obvious as you read through those verses, because we don't see necessarily that these are verses that are centered around the idea of praying to God 
when you begin to see what is going on here, you begin to see this is the only logical outcome. Because you see God's preservation of all things. That God is not a king who is out for himself. Unfortunately, we can know that we can have a list of people throughout history who have been rulers for their own sake, it seems. Who have taken great power and have used it to abuse others and to, great, get, to get great things for themselves. That we know what sinful humans tend to do with great power, and it's not pretty. But here we see the one who has all power and authority, the one who is the king over all things. He is not a king who is out for himself. He is great and good, and this is seen in his preservation of his people. In verses 14 through 20, we see really he is a help for the helpless. He brings food to animals, to the wild beasts out and about, that he answers those who pray, and he protects his very own. This is a God concerned with doing things graciously and lovingly for others. Notice with me, especially verse 20. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. That God is righteous in upholding these things, upholding those who love him, who believe in him, who trust in him as their great king, and he is also just as righteous in destroying the wicked. Even as we saw this morning, these are the two sides of the same coin. Judgment and mercy, judgment and preservation come hand in hand in some ways. But that this is the God who preserves his people even in the midst of these things. What a comfort this would have been to David and the people of Israel in those days as they are surrounded by nations who, if they themselves are not larger than Israel, that if you combine them, they were much larger, much more powerful, humanly speaking. That even the greatest way that Israel was, even the greatest that they reached, the highest peak under Solomon, they were still not a world empire like many of the others around them. They were still weaker. They were still smaller. They were still much more vulnerable and yet they heard that this is who their God is. He upholds those who love them and destroys the wicked. He is there for his people in all things. And so we have what we need. And that perhaps is such a strange thing that we don't think about nearly enough. The fact that God gives us our needs is truly amazing. Have you ever considered and stopped and thought about who God is and the fact that he needs nothing? that if God never created, never spoke everything out of nothing, he would not be lacking anything. That there is nothing that we can give to him that he does not already possess, that he did not give to us in the first place. That even his very being, his very life comes from himself. It's difficult for us to even comprehend what that means because each and every single thought that we have, each and every single breath that we take, each and every single step that we take has all been given to us and we depend upon others. Even as we breathe, we are bringing in oxygen from the world around us that we need to survive. As we drink, we are bringing in water. As we eat, we are bringing in food from all these other things and from all these other things that sustain us and support us. And God has never known that for one second. He has never experienced any of that dependence. That he is the one on whom all things depend. And yet this great God who is high above all things stoops down to us, as it were, and meets our very needs. Even the small things, each and every single breath that we've taken since this service began has been given to us by the one who is in need of nothing. The one who has all things that he needs. In verse 16, we see he fulfills the desires of those who delights in him. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry 
and saves them. And that's a very important thing to keep in mind. He fulfills the desires of those who delight in him. To those who see who he is and who respond in kind, who are doing what we find David calling us to do here in Psalm 145. That delighting in him truly does change our desires. It changes how we think of things, how we think of things in this life, how we think of our needs and our wants and our desires. And God gives us what he gives us the desire for in the first place. He gives us physically and spiritually what we need to survive. But most importantly, he gives us of himself. He gives us of himself and his greatness and his grace and his mercy and his love. And he'll be doing this for all eternity. So we read there in verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. Righteous and kind. Because both of those things are true. Because both of those things are the way that our king is. We know that our God and Father will provide for us. As we come to him, as we pray to him in Christ, as we come to him as those who are quite dependent, who need many things, we can know that he will hear us, that he will work for us, and that we will have what we need. The only response this can lead to is prayer. And so you can ask yourself, am I included in these people in verses 14 through 21, in these just large groups, these large swaths of creation? Are you falling? Are you bowed down? Perhaps the greatest category, are you a living thing? Certainly, we all are. We know that only God can preserve us. That only God can give us what we need. And so we are called, therefore, to pray to him. In verse 18, we read, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. The great king is near to all who call on him in truth. That is a promise that he gives. That all those who are relying not on themselves, but trusting in him, who are trusting in Christ who are leaning on him, relying on him for all things, who come to him and call upon him in truth, he will hear and he will be near to. That this great king who begins far above us is seen here at the end to be stooping down very close to us, to be near to us, to be gracious and to be merciful to us. And so God is calling us through his servant David in this last psalm that David will write in the Psalter, in this last word of the king, king is directing us to a far greater king. To someone who can give us what David himself and all of his power and might and royal authority could never hope to give us. He is calling us to pray to him. To call upon his name in truth. To go to him for our needs and to know that he will hear and that he will answer us. As we close this, as we consider these things in Psalm 145, these three outcomes are really a very small, a very short summary of what the Christian life is. But the Christian life is praising God for his greatness. It's proclaiming his kingdom and his provision for his people. It's going to him in prayer and knowing that he will hear and that he will answer. It's something that we've seen not only here at, P, at Perk, but also down throughout the ages, that these are the sorts of things that God's people do. That this is how God brings a people to his great name. And we're blessed to see his kingship in many different ways, and we could list them again and again and again, Perhaps one of the most ordinary and common things that perhaps we even forget is that we see his faithfulness, we see his kingship, we see his royal dominion working out through his faithfulness to generations. And we can see time and again that God has worked not only for us and for our children and for our grandchildren, that this can go back as far as we can remember. God willing, it'll go as far into the future as we have until the Lord returns. 
But even here at Perk, we can see his faithfulness. We can see that he has called people who have no other people in their family into faith in Christ. And we can also see that he has worked through those who have heard these things, have heard these things proclaimed to them for generations. That this is the great God. This is the great king. This is his great kingdom. And the call to praise and proclaim and pray continues. We open to this psalm with these words, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. And we end with these words, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. In between we hear why. God is calling us to come alongside David, to come along all creation, to come along all who know him, to praise him, to proclaim him, to pray to him, each and every single day, forever and ever, because we know that he is a great God, that he is a gracious God, and that he is our King and our Father. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your record that you give to us, your powerful and living active word that is sharper than a two-edged sword. We know, Lord, that it pierces us, the division of joint and marrow. We know, Father, that there are many things that we need to hear again and again because we are truly a forgetful and a weak people. We ask, Lord, that you'll help us to see more and more of who you are and what you've done for us, your greatness, your mercy to us in Jesus Christ, all these many blessings from your fatherly hand. May we be able to respond in gratitude and our praise and our proclamation and our prayers throughout our Christian lives. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.